Born in the 80s and raised in the 90s, we are the generation that knew what the phrase be kind rewind means because we lived it in our homes every weekend. And we also knew what it was like to go to Pizza Hut and win free personal pan pizzas thanks to Book It underneath the awe of the stained glass lights at Pizza Hut back in the 90s. We are the Inner Light Project, and we are so glad to be rejoining you and sharing with you some things of what all we've been up to, as well as later on in our podcast where we'll share some uh, some reviews and thoughts we have on the movie The Shawshank Redemption. For those of y'all that have seen it, this is your spoiler warning already. I know most of y'all have probably already seen Shawshank already, but just to put that out there. So uh, I'm joined today by my friend uh, Nathan Tolley. Nathan, if you want to say hi to the kids for us. Hello. And my dear friend Derek McCarson. Cowabunga dudes, and wearing uh, my Ninja Turtle shirt today. <laughs> yes, he is. Even though this is radio, not television, we've got Derek in the Ninja Turtles. Nathan is establishing that he is an officer on the Nostromo, for those of y'all who understand that reference. And then, of course, I'm joined by my friend Doug Bailey. Yo, San Dimas High School football rocks! <laughs> <laughs> So we're we're here this, to bring back to you guys just uh, some things that we've been watching lately. And, of course, later on, we're going to talk about the movie The Shawshank Redemption. So right now, uh, we're just mainly going to just kind of open-ended share some some things, some thoughts we've been watching lately. And again, this is from a uh, from a Christian worldview perspective. We are literally just four nerds that go to church together at the same church. And, uh, you know, this is what you hear in our podcast is pretty much what we talk about whenever we get together. Uh, so you you get to have that kind of fun and, and listen in on the fun that we have in our conversations. Feel so, our nerdiness. Yes, absolutely, Nathan. So, guys, if anyone wants to kind of chime in first about what y'all been watching lately, or, you know, I'm just going to kind of open it and see where it goes from there. I'll start. Um, actually, Whoa. me and my wife, we went and saw Black Widow. Um, what was it? Um, Sunday. Spoiler. Spoiler. Well, I'm not going to really spoil anything since you guys haven't seen it, but thank you. It was, it was good, uh, and especially what made it so good was it was a good origin story and a good ending for her character. Because I because this movie takes place between Civil War and Infinity War, and it just basically shows what what she was on the run for during those two movies. I mean, I thought her character ended in Endgame. Am I wrong? Oh, okay, go ahead. Sir, do I have to repeat myself? When or are we talking sense? about a completed arc? Kind of a completed character We'll arc? say completed arc. Okay, yeah, we'll all right. So this movie goes back into her murky past as a Russian agent. Yes, right? yes. It sort uh, of explores that area of her life. We yeah. get glimpses of it in some of the movies. Yeah, kind of glimpsed through all, throughout the whole... But this one goes yeah. deeper... And doesn't it have like a sister in it, or yeah, actually, she uh, she has a sister and a, and a mother and a father in it. Okay, and um, it, it basically she's trying to steal what she called was clean up her what was it, ledger her, her ledger, and it also talks about she also mentioned the whole red room where she was trained as an assassin when she was growing up. Um, but I, I thought it was a really good movie. I thought it was really yeah, good. sounds interesting and probably would give a lot of depth to an already well-established character. And of course we all know if you've seen in game, she pays the ultimate price uh -huh. mm -hmm. at the hands of Thanos or no 
Sorry. Uh, uh, I'm confused. Hit the brake. Let me pump the brakes. <laughs> she sacrifices herself, right? Yes. Yes. For, for, the, for the stone. Yeah. Her and Hawkeye okay. were fighting. That's right. Yeah. Been a while since I've watched yeah. it. Yeah. Well, one, one observation I saw on social media, and I didn't see it all the way because there was a spoiler alert on there, but I, a lot of posts I saw had the caption of this scene now makes sense. And they were referring to the 2012 Avengers where she says to Loki, I have red on my ledger. Mm-hmm. I'd like it wiped clean. So would I be right in saying that the black widow movie sheds light on? Yes, what she actually, okay. actually it does. Um, they, they really go deep into her story of it. Cause it starts out when she's a kid, her and her family are kind of sort of on the run, uh, actually on the run from shield. And then it goes kind of present day when she's on the run after civil war. Um, but don't the way I feel about it, it was a good movie, but don't go into it thinking like it's going to be a big blockbuster, like end game. Mm-hmm. It's just a good single character story. So important question. Go see it in the movie theater or wait till it comes out on Disney Plus. Go see it in theaters. Don't put, pay the premium $30 no, no, no. price. No, what I'm saying is After. wait until oh. it comes out on Disney Plus. Like, is it a go? You have to see it at the movie theater type movie. Good question. Good question. I think it was for me because since I hadn't, besides seeing the dreadful Fast and the Furious two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Tell us what um, you really think, Nathan. Man, uh, it's okay confession. as long as you got family, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a family meme. Um, I think it was worth it for me to go see it in theaters because of the lack of being in theaters for the past almost, what, two years now? Well, year and a half, whatever. Yeah. But I think it was worth it. Um, I'm gonna say I think it was just okay. for the fact of being in the theater. Yes, yeah, yeah that, that, that's why. I'm, that's why I'm saying I would never pay that thirty dollars to see the the premium on Disney Plus. Yeah. Sorry, Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> when you could see when you get the experience of seeing yeah. theaters. Yeah. So nice. Now you've made Very me cool. want to see it. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Is that about all you've been? Uh, that, well, well, I've got some other things, but if you guys want to, so we'll ke- let's keep it in the MCU. Okay. So I know one thing we've all been watching and really enjoying has been the Loki series on Disney Plus. Yeah. And I know for me, of the three that they have released on the streaming service, the Loki series has been my favorite personally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, simply because it's just a trip down the rabbit hole, so to speak. It's. Uh, really blows open the MCU and we we get a, a whole different perspective on the back what's going on in the background and it it really enlarges it and makes the whole series epic we meet the timekeepers and the TVA and uh, we see that um, they have this important job of trimming the sacred timeline yeah and uh, we introduce to the concept of variant and uh, different variants of characters and uh, what the multiverse is all about. And so, and it also explains what happened to that Loki in Endgame. Right. That's where it pulls the thread from. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, you see him disappear with the, the Tesseract and then that's it. Yeah. So this, this picks up right after. And that. see, for those of, because I know I kind of felt overwhelmed when I saw 
end game, how long it was and all that stuff. And that's why I remember asking you, Nathan, like, so they never retouched on that. It's just, he vanished. They never revisited it. And now here we are finding out about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The okay. Avengers are pretty much, well, well screwed up. We lost that test. Right. Let's so. go back to the seven. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, yeah, they, they, yeah. so that's where the, that's it. where Loki, the series starts. That's the, mm-hmm. the thread that they pull on. Yeah. Well, what happened to that Loki? And then boom, you're, you're entered into a whole, a whole mess of problems. And to put that in perspective, if I'm correct on this, that's 2012 Loki. Yes. Like yes. 2012 would be the yes. cutoff. For so that. it's not the Loki <clears throat> that, not, I guess, Loki Prime that dies right. in Infinity War mm-hmm. when Thanos chokes him to death. Right. It's yeah. not right. that Loki. Yeah. It's a, it's a variant that wasn't supposed right. to happen. And so this would be a Loki that has maybe not as much, unless I miss this part in the show, doesn't know all of those events well, that takes... He, he the only reason he knows some of it is when they uh, did that kind of... Um, they were doing his greatest hits on mm-hmm. the tape yeah. there. Yeah, they oh, kind of right, showed right. him what his life was going to be. Yeah, it would have been if he hadn't okay. picked up the Tesseract. Yeah, and so he yeah. knows he, he, he can't died. go back because if he goes back, he dies. Mm-hmm. And if he stays, he's, you know, kind of a prisoner in the TVA. So we talked about, you know, you say the Loki Prime that dies in Endgame, but is this Loki the Prime Loki, or was that the variant that went on to die? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's a Christopher Nolan rabbit hole we're getting sucked into. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't know. I can't, you can't, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can really even say, because since he's from a, alternate timeline i think i just feel like this show brings it brings the alternate timeline into the light mm-hmm. the, the, basically mm-hmm. like the, the multiverse, multiverse. Mm-hmm. into the light if, if nobody know, really knows about it because they just mm-hmm. stayed on the normal path all this time but now this brings it opens the world up to the multiverse by the way it is june 15th and uh, the last episode, or excuse me, July fifteenth. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> July fifteenth. And time? the last episode, episode six, just yeah. dropped yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so three of four of us have been able to watch it. But spoiler: the, the big, the big <laughs> reveal in this last episode, of course, was we find out who the main villain is. The who is the uh, professor behind the curtain, so to speak, yeah. to use yeah. another Wizard of Oz Wizard analogy. Of Oz. And we find out that it's Kang, the, the, the one who remains. Yes. And Kang the Conqueror. And uh, so were you guys expecting that? I know there was a lot of speculation from fans and a lot of ideas tossed around about who that could be. Were you surprised when he showed up? I, I was hoping it was. I was because there were so many. I know WandaVision messed with our heads so much about Pointed certain things. Pointed toward Mephisto, things. you know, but it didn't yeah, But I feel like there were so many characters, just so many different things that pointed towards his direction. If they hadn't have done it, I think it would have not necessarily ruined the show for me, but I'm like... Kind of a let. They would have been let down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this ending. Him. I was like, this kind of sucks. I mean, because there was kind of rumors of it being another Loki or even being um, uh, Mobius. Like there was a there because you know the 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 multiple rings on the table. They were right. saying this could have been like an older Mobius controlling mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if it would have been any of that, I'd be like, this is this is really a letdown. Yeah, and they do a an exposition 
in the middle of the episode where Kang basically explains where he came from mm-hmm. and how he landed in that position of being in the citadel at the end of time. Yeah. And they explain all of that. And Which they did an amazing job. They did a great that. job of taking a very complex storyline and boiling it down for somebody like me who had no knowledge of who he was or how he got there. But uh, as we were we were watching it, and uh, I was thinking, that's exactly what Doug just explained. Yeah. Doug hit it right on the head. It was very close to the comics, right? Yes. And, you, yes. and Doug is familiar with the comic version and... So they just basically lifted that and brought it right into the show. Oh yeah, which is which is always a nice tie. And when you when you watch these movies, you're a fan of these movies, and you're a fan of the comics you grew up with. You like to see the way they draw in all these old characters, like they did the old Loki when they brought him in the last, the, what the fourth, the different episode? Loki variants, yes. the yeah. crocodile the Loki, Kirby, and the, the Jack Kirby Loki yeah. with the horns. I mean, that crocodile. was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was a trip. <laughs> that cracked me up, and it was. I thought it was awesome, and you know the first, you know, this is the first time when Kang was explaining things to spoiler Preston. Preston, that's okay. That go go for it. It's all right. I'm going to watch it this evening anyway. <laughs> he was uh, explaining things. Did did you did y'all catch that was the first time he said multiple universes stacked on each other instead mm-hmm. of saying timeline? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said it was him essentially telling his story. He called himself the Kang Prime. You know, the yeah. Prime One. Mm-hmm. He discovered the multiple universes until he met other versions of himself that were searching for him. So I thought that was a really excellent way to. Yeah, and he has this really eerie line when they're contemplating whether to kill him or not. And he basically, you know, says when he does get killed, basically says, uh, You'll see me again soon. Yeah, see yeah. you soon. I'll see you soon. Yeah, see yeah. you soon. I yeah. thought that was pretty sinister because it was all going to. The whole show is brilliant in that it teeters on this debate between free will versus determinism. Uh, is everything preset? Do we have free will, or are we just like robots uh, moving to somebody else's programming? And so it kind of leads you to that discussion at the end, like, well, okay, so all this was inevitable. Right, he's going to come back again because of the multiverse and the the different variants of himself. Yeah, he said the exact same thing. Yeah. Was time was going to repeat itself. Yes. It was going to be a multi universal war. He would come forward, beat everybody, end up right back in the same place. Yeah. So it didn't matter if they killed him; he yeah. didn't care. It was very similar to um, Thanos. His line in Endgame: "I'm yeah. inevitable." I'm inevitable. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like it's kind of a a harkening back to that. Yeah. Well, see, it was so it was so cool uh, when everything was breaking down after they or after they killed him. The timeline looked like, I guess you'd say, like roots in the yeah, ground. Yeah, roots are like vessels, like spider like webs yeah. of broken yeah. glass. It was, it, you know, it was awesome. I mean, this I I don't know. Would you say this is the best episode? The last episode. Episode five, where the, we saw all the variant Lokis, yeah. was really great. That yeah. was entertaining, and it was funny to see that whole interaction. But for me, I mean, this is what the whole series was building to. You wanted to know, all right, who's running this thing? Yeah, and it did not disappoint. And I thought that it was a great way to cap off the series, and then keep watching. As you know, there's a there's a post credit yeah. scene. Oh, keep yeah. watching, okay. and you find out that there is going to be a season two, and it's going to pick up where this one ends up, where uh, Loki discovers that he's 
in a completely different, different universe than the one that he started in because wow. of the whole Pandora's box that got opened with the with Kang's death. So, so if they really don't, I, I thought about that too. If they don't know him, he run right up to Morbius, and uh, what was Morbius? Mobius. Not Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> Not the vampire. <laughs> That's to come. That's to come. That's coming. I was thinking of it. But what was the hunter's name? Was that B20? I can't. It was the the female, the the I don't know if it's 20 or 19, but neither one of them recognized Loki. So mm-hmm. that universe he's in, they don't know him. And right. he sees a, a like a different there's different statues. There's different right. statues. So when he goes from the Citadel at the end of time back to the TVA, he's in a different universe altogether. Completely different branch. It's all yeah. been branched off and it's chaos at this yeah. point. Yeah. Which we talked about this um, on our ride over here that it sets up what's coming next, which is we know mm. there's multiverse of madness coming with Doctor Strange. We know that Spider-Man's going to have, it looks like... I think Spider-Man is first yeah. and then uh, Doctor Strange. We're going to have different versions of Spider-Man in the same you, that's movie. That's what people are hoping. I want to yeah. see Andrew Garfield... Back in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and, and see, uh, that's I'm hoping that too. Um, just because I mean, they have not revealed anything about multiple Spider Mans, but all their villains from those other movies have been mm-hmm. they're they've been mm-hmm. coming back. Like the actors have been coming back to play those characters in this next Spider Man movie. What do you think? What? So I'm hoping it's ba- not just the villains. <laughs> Ho- going back to that last scene where. You know, it shows that universe is doing the exact same thing as the universe he thought he was in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because they show Mobius and whatever her—I don't even know her name. The I think other it's twenty, the other security guard, whatever yeah. she was. But they were both standing, and I—I'm I, guessing that was the the prime one we've all been seeing location of TVA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when he comes back... They think they're the prime. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's all complete madness. And there's already... Awesome madness. There's (laughs) already a reveal. You know, Kang statue. There's not three timekeepers. There's There's just Kang. Yep. Yep. So this show did a great job. I felt like every episode you came to kind of um, an impasse where you were... You were expecting the next thing, and then when you got to the thing, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. So, like you know, it was building. It was building up to meeting the timekeepers, and then when you finally see who the timekeepers were, they weren't what you thought. Yeah, there was, there was something robots. else behind that. And then, it, the series was great for doing that kind of setting up the next the next mystery, and that's really how it it ends with uh, episode six. Loki was a ton of fun, a definite mind boggler, and. Uh, expands the MCU even more. What I wanted to throw in just real quick about that too is one of the one of the elements I noticed in Loki was the use of a theremin. I don't know if y'all are familiar with a theremin. That's a, a it's a pretty instrument. unique instrument. Yeah, it is. It, technically, it's the only good thing that came out of the Soviet Union. But like, it's <laughs> it, it, it it was. Is that the Leon, one where you put your hand over? You it? yeah you and like if you ever want to sell a theremin, you can. You're not lying if you say it's never been touched. Because you're not supposed to touch it as you play it. Like you, you move your hands like you're using the force. And the the theremin is kind of shaped in an L. There's an antenna on one side, and then there's another antenna that makes a loop. And you one hand is kind of your volume, while the other hand, the way you position your fingers and all of that is is the pitch and all of that. So in Loki, 
if y'all remember the scene where it's the it's in the guy's office, he's got those three statues and all those knickknacks displayed, mm-hmm. and you can hear this stringy sounding music. It sounds pretty old. That's a theremin. Yeah, it's kind of harkens back to like maybe like a '60s B movie where yeah. the aliens are coming in and it's that too. And that can and... also be attributed to some of Bob Moog's inventions. Yeah, who was it's kind of got local a otherworldly type feel to it. And right. Uh, while we're on that, I thought the soundtrack was awesome. Was yeah, really great. Music it was, was unique, great. and it was when and in the theme there too. In the in the intro theme, you can hear the theremin. And uh, Natalie Holt, who's from England, she wrote the music for Loki. But the idea of the theremin, if I read right, came from the director, and she pitched it to Natalie Holt. And so they got together and worked on some musical elements. And, and basically what they, the reason the theremin was chosen is because they felt that it captured Loki's uh, humor, his menace, and his mischief. Uh-huh. They, they felt like it sounded like that. But there's also other instruments they used, like the, uh, the nickel harp, which is a Scandinavian instrument. So when you're talking about Scandinavian ancient you know, god names and stuff, uh, that becomes appropriate. But the nickel harp looks like a cross between a violin, a guitar, and an accordion almost without the squeeze box part. The the nickel uh, the the nickel harp has I want to say like 16 or so strings that go across and then there's like tons of these buttons and rods on the bottom that you move your hand like around the, as well. The but guitar and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you use a bow to play it. So you're 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 bowing it you you finger on the bottom, but you hold it as if it's a guitar. You have to have a lot of and dexterity to play this. It, it it sure looked like that to me when I saw a video of it. It's a really yeah, fascinating looking and very cool sounding instrument. But they they just did, and then you have some orchestral elements too. But they they wanted that theremin to kind of be the overlying element in in the music of Loki again for those. For those reasons, but it, it 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 was invented in the 1920s by Leon Theremin, and uh, and then you know just kind of made its name after that. There but you anyway, go. Anyway, that's just go two go Google it, look it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also uh, Preston, you know they they had to. I mean, guys, correct me correct me if I'm wrong, but they had to actually you're wrong. create. You stay out of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you stay, stand uh, they, here and you're wrong. Now. They actually had to create a theme song for Loki. Yeah, you know, because he in in all the movies he's been in, he, there he never really had any his own music. It was always yeah. the whatever movie he was in's music, mm-hmm. right? Because he wasn't the main character, exactly. and even though he was such an important, the main element. antagonist. Oh yeah, yeah, big time, especially in Avengers One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're right. Yeah, this is this is the first time where we really get to see a pure musical theme for the character of Loki. And Derek, you were talking about like the '60s type vibe. That I feel like the whole TVA yeah. has like a '60s yeah. type vibe to it. Anyways, the, was I the only one who thought that Miss Minutes was a, a little creepy? Well, she was kind of like Mister DNA from Jurassic Park, <laughs> <Yeah>. Dino <laughs> DNA. You know, where he's used to explain how they get yeah. the DNA yeah. from a little cartoon and DNA. Bingo. Yeah. Speaking of Miss Minutes, yeah. I found like here a, he goes. Oh yes. <laughs> I'm bringing it up. It's a coincidence, I'll, people. No, no, no. Go back. Go back <laughs> and watch the first Thor. Now, this this is a deep... This shows how much thought Marvel has put into this show. Go ahead, Doug. Pull up the picture for the viewers. I, I, I'm going to show it to Preston. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
That even that, though this that's is her shirt. Red. Oh, in the look first it. Does it not? Wait a minute. No. Oh my goodness. Yes. Just a, just a coincidence. Oh, just a quick dink. <laughs> no, no, that's that, even the. Let him have his fun, Nathan. Come that um, if it, if it's a coincidence. <laughs> Then there are some artists that have some copyright lawsuit uh, yes. grounds there, um, but I, I don't think that's a coincidence. That's, so, a, that's an actual snapshot from the movie. If you look at yeah. Jane's character when she's running, right when she thinks Thor died, yep, she's running. Her flannel shirt blows open. Boom. Yeah. T-shirt, Miss Minutes. Uh, Doug photoshopped and, that. That's not actually in the movie. <laughs> with, I mean, and with it being Disney owned. There, oh, yeah. no, yeah, like there, yeah, you've got. I mean, take the Pixar movies. There is this theory, and it holds water, that every single Pixar movie takes place in the same universe. Yeah, if you can't sleep at three o'clock in the morning, pull those conspiracy theories up. Just <laughs> well, it's just like even the Disney movie, just the Disney movies alone. There's, yeah. it seems like you'll find a character in every single one of right. them that was in each other's movies. And, and if and if this is the case with what Doug was showing us. This is nothing new for Disney to yeah. to be practicing, and they've been doing this since we were all kids. I just I mean, hope they never put Mickey Mouse in the background somewhere or something. I, I guarantee oh, they did we've that. Seen they, him. they did that in the first Tron movie. Oh, well, Tron's okay. That That's because fine. in the it's in the Marvel. scene where uh, that that big sailing whatever you call it was going across solar the sail. The yeah. solar sail. If you're looking in the in the background, like the the landscape and stuff, you can see the silhouette, the ears, mm-hmm. and then the head, and that and that in the, the mouth. The ears and it is Mickey make. Mouse. Because I mean, go back and Tron. See is, if I can find that. Now. That's the first. That's the 1982 Tron, which mm-hmm. Star Trek II beat it. By a month on being the first movie with CG, so there we go. Had to put that in there. So, as so, we talk about MCU and what's been on Disney Plus, rate it. Favorite, second, least favorite for me. Loki favorite. number one. Okay, <laughs> calm down, sir. Oh, you're asking my vote. Jeez. No, you get your chance. It's okay, on. I'll go first. Loki, then Wandavision. Then Captain America or uh, Winter Soldier and oh Falcon, Falcon. Winter Soldier. What about you, Doug? What's your one, two, three? Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Wandavision. Mm. Falcon and Winter Soldier went above Wandavision. I'm sorry. Well, Doug, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it goes ah. Loki, Wandavision, and Falcon and Winter Soldier for me. Yep. I'll I'll rank like what Derek and Nathan Shut ranked only up. because and and Doug I'm I'm going to I'm going to give you a pass on this one <laughs> only because I have not seen all the Falcon Winter Soldier episodes yet. I've seen maybe the first 3, so I'm not caught up, so that's why my ranking is the way wah, it is. Wah, I know. Wah. Cop out, cop out. I know. I know. Sorry. So, you guys, we watched this last episode. Did you think when Miss Mintz popped up that she was the one running everything? How no. much of a letdown would that have been? I'm pretty Probably. sure I would have that turned would have the TV bad. off if that would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been bad. Because you notice the statues when you walk in. If you looked up at them, they have clocks for faces. And then she pops up. You're like, oh, really? I think that would have really ruined the whole series, truthfully. If, if she would have been, I don't know, some kind of AI or something. I think Kind of like been. not letting Doctor Strange show up at the end of WandaVision. That would have made it bump up yeah. to a two. If but he see, also, they wanted, they wanted that to be her show, though. Not... Somebody else's. Good what, point. Doug? Be her show? what, Doug? What, what do you got? What do you got? Hey, hey, break it up here, boys. 
This is not going to be. This is why y'all are on opposite ends. All right, of the so table. we have I can watched, jump over this table. We've we've all watched the Disney Plus Neo. Marvel series. Yeah, we've watched. Well, one of us has watched Black Widow. Yeah. What else have you guys been watching this past summer? I'll th- just because I can't contain this. Um, <laughs> so who who in here? I know you have access to HBO Max. You mm-hmm. guys yeah. both yes. do Chernobyl. Oh, oh yes. Yes. yes, Chernobyl yes. is amazing. <laughs> what a response! I want to say, me and Doug were actually watching it at the yeah, exact same Doug time. Doug actually yeah. told me about it like yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Yes. And at that point, Start I, I wasn't able to piggyback off of my yeah. sister's HBO account at that time. <laughs> but I have since done that, and Chernobyl was awesome. They knocked it, it out of the park. Sucked yeah. me in. Yeah. I it, mean, I know we all grew. I mean. We were obviously around when it happened, but I, you know, too young was, to really. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, I was. Or no. I hadn't even started preschool yet when it happened, but I remember. <laughs> Except for Doug. Hit, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, Doug, but Nathan, you know, you know, Nathan in his mouth over here. Anyway. <laughs> Well worth it. <laughs> Except for Doug. That's our catch. For, Except for Doug. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, but, Preston. No, well, I was I was just gonna say I remember being <laughs> I remember being in high school when I started actually learning like the history of it and starting to appreciate yeah, the you details. Gave Nathan your spoon. <laughs> <didn't> you? <laughs> That's, yeah, that big spoon. That big spoon. He's, he's stirring, stirring things Nathan, up. <laughs> Nathan took the big spoon. He's stirring it up now. But I but I remember. You know, when I was, by the time I was in high school, having finally learned the kind of a detailed version of it in in my science class, that was something that we kind of touched on in science because of, you know, studying about radiation and all of that. But I I remember learning it in my history class. Right. But it wasn't until this miniseries was released that I really learned, and I'm sure y'all too, especially at the end of the last episode with the, especially what Gorbachev wrote mm-hmm. and uh, where, where he said that he felt that the Chernobyl disaster was the, was the pinnacle, the true uh, start of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but just all the details and it was the brutal. Things, the, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, there the, was a huge government cover up to oh, keep yeah, the yeah. world well, from that, knowing what was really going on. Right. So I think that's why most of, most people in America or in this hemisphere didn't really know yeah. the story because some of it, so much of it, was hidden. Well, and, and that, and the way that the Soviets constructed their nuclear reactors set it up for the disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were talking about the graphite-tipped boron rods that caused the pressure in the core to skyrocket, and and about how the reason they used those was because it was cheaper. Um, it's, it's, it's total it's human always, negligence. It's always yeah. cheaper, thing. right? From start to finish, yeah. always and then, cheaper. And yeah. then the constant failed tests of yes. the reactor to test anything to save money, even if it's yeah uh, lives. But it, I mean, just watching that whole thing, ju- I mean, just there were the way two really gut wrenching scenes in that series. Um, mm-hmm. First was when they conscripted the soldiers to go into the radioactive. Uh, poisoned villages, and they had to exterminate the pets. Everything, yeah. That tore me. That was kill, awful. Kill everything yeah. living. They had to kill everything because it yeah. was all contaminated, including you know the dogs and the cats and the yeah cattle and I mean that was just awful. And then of course the uh, very last episode where you see what happened to the victims who were the so exposed to the radioactive yeah, yeah. Active core. I mean, their bodies basically melted from the inside out. Yeah. And uh, 
I don't know who was responsible for doing the uh, makeup effects, but it was just unreal mm-hmm. the uh, the reality that they were able to get into that. I mean, it was gruesome. Yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy how like our uh, from what I saw in there how our how our bodies absor- can absorb that much radiation where somebody can't even be around. It passes you. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. Well, and that was the other the the two things that really struck me about the, the miniseries, number one was, I'm not in order just in what I was thinking here, but the when the very beginning of episode one, the main character commits suicide. Well, I mean, and that really happened, you know, Lugasov right. right. commits starts suicide. starts at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah. and I... And, when I they were they were interviewing the the directors and producers were talking about why they did that they wanted to establish that Legasov is not it's not just about him and it's not just about his contributions there is a much bigger picture here to appreciate and so they they wanted us to know that this cost his life in the end that mm-hmm. he he is going to commit suicide but that's because the radiation he absorbed. He was already a walking that, dead anyway. Exactly. Yeah. He there. There's nothing he could have done about it. But they they wanted to establish that as this is not about Legasov, even though you're going to see him a lot through all these parts because he's he is spearheading this. And just like with the uh, the female scientist, she her character was created. She wasn't a real person, but they created her to represent all the other nuclear physicists and scientists that were trying to contribute to help put an end to this disaster and clean it up. So the other thing that struck me was the, the, the widow of the firefighter, her, mm-hmm. her oh, baby, yeah. absor- had she not been pregnant, it, her, her life probably would have ended too. Cause they said that her baby absorbed all of the radiation that she was around. And that, and it brought that whole point. Like these, these little kids had to pay the price mm-hmm. for, for things that they didn't even Yeah, do. There was a scene in that movie where they were, trying to get volunteers they were they were trying to get volunteers to go into uh, the radioactive zone and and help in dealing with the uh, disposing of some of that material and i don't know if you remember but they have like all of the men who have are possible volunteers to go in and do that and they they were saying that uh, they would pay them 400 ruples or four hundred dollars or whatever and I mean that was a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were they were going to pay those guys $400 to do that. And they went in and they did it and they all died. Yeah. Eventually, right. uh soon thereafter because of the the radioactive poisoning, but Well, but well like all the the guys that were the that dug the up under. The miners, oh, the, mi- the, miners? the coal miners. Yes. Yeah. Stripped the, down. Yeah. Yeah, that was a crazy scene. And then they... Yeah, didn't they tell them they had to put their clothes back on or something like that? I think so. Yeah. I, I didn't they, see that in the movie. Well, they were... I know the reason that they did that was because it was 50 degrees Celsius, which I think translates to like over a hundred... Almost like 120 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. And you couldn't run the fans because like it would blow the radiation in there. Right. But I don't, I don't think... I, I could be wrong. I did a lot of research on it after I watched it, but I don't think all those miners died. A lot right. of them survived. Well, even those those three guys that had to go in to, I think, reactivate the water pumps or whatever Oh, it yeah, was, had, to, had the scuba gun. Two, I think, are still alive today, I think. Or I know one one has since passed on, and I, and I want to say, because they, they showed this in the captions at the end, but right. I want to say at least one or two of those guys are still around. 
Because um, when they were when they, I know when they were going around, they had to turn over the top ten feet of the dirt within yeah. such a mile radius. Yeah. Or how many miles out it was because right. it was radiated. Yeah, I mean when you think about disaster flicks like Titanic, for example, um this was such a huge epic scale. And that's what made this so um I don't know, so captivating is that this involved a huge exercise whole, whole of manpower and resources. <laughs> yeah, a whole, yeah. whole, whole nation, yeah. yeah. You know, you think about yeah. like Titanic, for example, that was an isolated incident that was an accident. But that's a that's a matter of perspective. It was a miracle for the lobsters in the ship's kitchen. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Derek, you you go. Ahead. Well, didn't the radiation float like as far as Italy? Maybe they yeah. showed. Oh, like, it it made it it made it to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, uh, very a very small amount. But I and that was one thing I learned in high school was that the if you want to really get down to just the technical part of it, the r- radiation from Chernobyl made its way all the way across the Atlantic and even hit parts of the U.S. East Coast. Yeah, and, crazy. and the thing that's so mind-boggling about that is you just didn't, I mean, and I I have my history major. I have a degree in history, and I knew yeah. very, very little about Chernobyl, and it was just mind-boggling to be educated in that and see how huge on a scale of disaster this was. Well, didn't even well, to this day. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't go there. Yeah. Well, well they put because, that casket over it. Well, there was yeah the back in the back in the eighties or whenever because they were talking about that containment building and they they the original name of that was the sarcophagus. Sarcophagus. And then yeah. yeah, and then just a few years ago, this is very recent, about three four years ago, when they noticed that the sarcophagus was starting to fail, they've now built a whole nother dome on yeah. top of that, and it's supposed to last. Uh, about a century. And what was cool about this dome was when they 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 built it at a distance from Chernobyl. And then it was I watched it, it was, was awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. so cool. And they wheeled it in and then they put an internal crane on the inside. And that internal crane is supposed to be like remote operated where I can't remember it, it it's either supposed to pick up dangerous material or it's supposed to build something on the inside, but there is that this internal crane on the inside too. And then they have totally sealed that up. So it's, it's the, uh, it's another containment building on top of the sarcophagus on top of the original Chernobyl reactor. And I know the actual reactor is still burning. Yeah. It's oh, still yeah. melting down. I and think it will for like the next, they said 50,000 years. It, they call it the, you can uh, look it up. It's called the elephant's foot where it shows part of it melting underground. Yeah. So all they did was slow it. When they dug under it, all they could do was slow it, mm-hmm. but they didn't stop it. So it's just Because of all those things Legasov was talking about, how you you have your, your reactivity and then you have to balance it out with the cooling elements. Well, there's, there's nothing to cool it now. Right. Right? There's, you can slow it down, but without it being in the, in the reactor, there's just, it's just, the Still, deeper it goes, the yeah. hotter it gets. Yeah. Yeah. So fantastic series. Yeah. Long yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. Uh-huh. Maybe we should have done a podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, we, I think we should Chernobyl. someday. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, why don't we so. take a break right there, Preston? And uh, we'll come back for the second part of our podcast. And we're going to talk about one of the greatest movies that's ever been put out Shawshank Redemption.
And we are now back, and we're ready to bring our roundtable discussion of one of our favorite movies of all time, which is the Stephen King classic, The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, so Derek is going to spe- kind of spearhead this conversation because I know this is one he was especially enthused about bringing to us. So Derek, I'm going to let you just kind of start it out and see where we go from there. Yeah, so this one has been on our list for some time to do a review on and we're talking about Shawshank Redemption it came out released in 1994 what were you guys doing in 1994 I was being 12 years old there you go it's working a full-time job thank you <laughs> Doug was already shaving and working I was in elementary school what are you doing, Nathan? <laughs> oh. in 1994 I would have been in fourth grade Mr. Williams class but Shawshank Redemption came out that year. Uh, we have all said that it's one of the greatest movies of all time, and we're not alone in that because um, as of today, if you go to IMDb and look at their rankings, Shawshank is number one with a 9.3 out of 10. Wow. I think Godfather yeah, Part 2 was second. Definitely by, worth it. By just wow. a tenth of a point or so. So let's give you some fast facts about Shawshank. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie, what are you doing? Amen. You, you, you got to see there's it. There's spoilers coming if yeah. you haven't seen yeah. it. It was directed by Frank Darabont, and it, as Preston already indicated, was based off a Stephen King book, uh, Shawshank Redemption, which came out in 1982. Now, interesting thing about Frank Darabont is he also directed The Green Mile, one of Nathan's favorite movies, yes. which is also a Stephen King book as well. So he has that distinction of directing two of those uh, Stephen King plots. And Green Mile is also a story about prison, (laughs) or it takes place in prison. Now, Shawshank Redemption has two great stars leading the um, acting. You've got Tim Robbins, who plays Andy Dufresne, and then you've got Morgan Freeman, who plays Ellis Red. Reading. The plot of the movie, um, just to summarize it, I won't go into everything, but we begin by meeting Andy Dufresne, and he is wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife and her lover, and then he's sentenced to two life sentences in the infamous Shawshank prison. And, of course, that's a fictional uh, prison that's not a real Shawshank prison, but it was uh, from what I understand, it, it was shot at a prison in Ohio, I think, uh, the the building. And, of course, they had sets and everything. But the, the exterior shots that you see um, was an actual prison in Ohio, I believe. You may want to fact check me on that. But Andy Dufresne has to then go into – Nathan's fact checking me right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just happened to be on IMDb, and I, you are right, Derek. It was uh, Part of it was filmed in Ohio, Virginia, and Virgin Islands. And, yeah, pretty much Ohio and Virginia. There you go. Andy Dufresne has to adjust to his life in prison, and he ends up making friends with Morgan Freeman, or Red, in the movie, and – Anyway, through a long series of um, events there, Andy is able to procure a rock hammer, a geologist hammer from Red, who's a man who knows how to get things. And he basically, in secret, uses that rock hammer to tunnel out of his cell 
And the big twist in the movie is that Annie Dufresne finds a way to escape this um, prison. Inescapable prison. The inescapable <laughs> prison of uh, Shawshank. And, of course, that's the whole big culminating point in the movie. Now, before we dive into the themes and some of the Christian undertones of the movie, I want to go around to you guys and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. Actually, more than two, but uh, where were you or when were you when you first saw it? What was your reaction to it the first time you saw it? How many times have you seen it since then and why do you love it? So if you can keep all of that in, <laughs> in mind. I'll go first. I was a junior in high school when I first saw it and I watched it at my friend's house Brandon Tweed uh, we watched it together and I was absolutely just blown away by it I just instantly connected with the characters and the the story I was totally enraptured by it and even then when I saw it I was like this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life uh, since then I've I've watched it at least a dozen times and it's a long movie Mm -hmm. i don't know what the running time is but i think it pushes almost three hours it's almost two and a half okay it's it's a long long run um yes and uh, two hours and 22 minutes there you go and the reason that i love it is not only because it's one of those movies you can watch and rewatch, and it never gets old um but the themes that it touches on are absolutely timeless and that's what keeps me coming back is of course as i've gotten older i have seen so many of the christian themes coming through christian theology is just woven into the movie and i don't know if that was intentional by stephen king or not but man um without it being a bible-based movie it's i think shawshank is probably one of the greatest christian movies ever and it's not even intended to be but it's just the themes are so strong in it that um it's powerful, and uh, it's it's great on every single level. And um, whether or not it's Christian, we can certainly draw the elements out of it. Oh, that. yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Like with many yeah. other things. And I know that sounds strange because if, if the movie is rated R and it does have a lot of profanity in it and all of that, but, but set that stuff aside and just look at the thematic material and the message mm-hmm. that's being conveyed. There's so much more there than just a good story. Yeah. Um, there's all this... Uh, deep philosophical and spiritual stuff that is really driving the whole movie. So, Preston, where were you as best your memory? When were you? What was your initial reaction? How many times have you seen it, and why do you love it? Well, I want to say, if I remember right, when I first saw it, I may have been in eighth, maybe ninth grade, so roughly 1996, And I was at home when I first saw it. And I want to say it was when we, because every now and then HBO would do like a free sample where you would get, if you were not subscribed to it, you get a free weekend. Get a free weekend. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we had those AOL discs. (laughs) (laughs) That's another thing we, that today's generation won't ever 20 different emails yeah Uh, yeah. Uh, so I want to go to the gas station uh, y'all got any more of them AOL discs (laughs) AOL discs (laughs) (laughs) nobody make a phone call I I got some legal paperwork Uh, yeah Uh, but uh, so I want to say it was I I do know that was the circumstance and that was uh, I want to say eighth maybe ninth grade (laughs) Nathan and 
But it, so so when I first saw it, it was the full raw unedited what like mm-hmm. it would have been for for cable because I know TBS would show it a lot. So I I was hit full on by that unedited raw version of it. And I remember really being blown away. And even as a kid thinking how, how real it, it made things as far as like prison, like, cause I know Derek, you were talking about, yeah, it is rated R for profanity and, and, and some, some of those elements that make for an R rated movie. The only thing I would add to that is in this particular case, I think those, those were some things that brought out what uh, the reality. Oh yeah, the of, harshness of that lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. R- precisely. Doesn't and, sugarcoat anything. Ex- yeah, yeah, and and but I, so one of the reasons uh, what what I really liked about it. So that's where I was. What I really liked about it was just how uh, not only how real and raw it was, but how it brought out these elements of of companionship, um, but also things of, of like, you know, how dangerous living in a place like that could be. But the reason I love it, and this kind of transcends into when I watched it back later, especially in my college days, because there's, there are some fraternity connections to the, because I was in a, for the band service fraternity when I was in college, it's called Kappa Kappa Psi. And we were actually supposed to watch that movie as an assignment as a pledge assignment, and we were supposed to discuss the elements of brotherhood. Hmm. That, Interesting assignment. Yes. And that, so that really is one of the reasons I love the movie is because I feel like it is packed with elements of brotherhood, especially when you look at Andy's relationship with Red and mm-hmm. you just look at how important that was and how, especially in a place like that, and with the the other the other kind of secondary characters through the movie, they shared a brotherhood that I feel like in a situation like that would get them through so many things and kind of forming a protective bond, but also having that, that friendship together, being able to share some, some semblance of life together. Mm -hmm. So that's, those are some reasons why I love it. And so again, that's how old I was when I first saw it. But over the years, even recently, I've I watch it every now and then, even to this day. Sweet. All right, Nathan or Doug, you guys jump in. You guys can I'll duke go. it out. Get it. <laughs> I want to say I was in middle school. I don't know. We'll just say late nineties. Sure. Uh, but but the first time I saw it was actually on TV. Mm. The TBS and, version, exactly, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and but I I loved it, but at the same time, I think when I finally saw it, uh, the actual physical copy of it, or you know, I mean, the unedited version, I like I loved it even better. And it wasn't because the language or anything like that. It was because when I watched it on TBS, they had it edited in a way. You would hear somebody else's voice in a, where there was a, a, a cuss word. It was distracting. It was very distracting because mm-hmm. it, it was so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> but when I finally saw the real version, I guess you could say, uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. Um, I forgot your questions, Derek. I'm sorry. How about this one? <laughs> um, what specifically about it? 
do you love? I think I think the because the big message for me in it was because uh, Andy talked about hope right a lot in it, and he has the the one of the best quotes I've ever heard in a movie. Um, get busy living or get busy dying. Well, the one I was thinking was hope uh, is a good thing, maybe hope, the best of yeah. things, and yeah. oh, no was good Morgan thing Freeman, ever dies. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just I, I love that quote, and I I've probably. I don't know. I've probably seen that movie a hundred times mm-hmm. since I first saw it. Never gets it. old. No, no, never does. I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it this year at all. But I mean, it's still clear in my head. Mm-hmm. The movie. But Sweet. Yeah. Douglas, tell the peoples. Here he comes. What would you like to know? Okay. Uh, <laughs> 1994. Hmm. Well. I didn't see it till I think it was around 97, and I rented it on VHS. Oh, my gosh. Did you rewind it? I think I did not. Did it come oh on a no. single VHS, or was it one of those double VHS? It was one of the double ones. Yeah, because there were some of the longer movies. Like I know Braveheart, Braveheart was a double Titanic. one. Titanic. Yeah. Titanic yeah. was a double one, so you thought, oh, it's a bonus. But uh, it's one of them movies, I, you've watched it. I couldn't tell you how many times I've watched it since then. You always catch it, and no matter what part, you can just be back when I had cable. You could flip through and you'd catch it on. You start watching it. It didn't matter where you started watching it. You could watch it from that point. Um, it was definitely a. What I took from it is the you know they didn't have the they made the best out of their situation. Their relationships were thrust on them. They didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Like that first night, Red didn't like Andy. He bet against him. He, and fresh fish, fresh fish, yeah. yeah. That that tall drink of water, yeah, yeah. with the silver spoon. <laughs> yeah, he ain't gonna make it the first night. So yeah, and it just shows uh, how important relationships are, even in a situation that was so dire as they were in. Their relationships with their other, you know, become brothers in there is what got them through. Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing I took from it. You know, it's interesting. We talked about how this was a Stephen King book at first. And Stephen King's known for horror, right? But I think this is the best thing he's ever done. And I've not really, I mean, I'm not like a Stephen King fan, but I've seen some of the horror that's been made into uh, films. Mm-hmm. Did he write The Shining? Does anybody know? Now, I know Stanley Kubik directed it. Is that a Stephen as King far, book? Anyway, as far as Stephen King writing, y'all look it up. But my point is this: that he's known for horror, and yet this has nothing in it that is scary or real life horror. Right? It's basically what it is. It, it's um, it's drama. Yeah. And it's about friendships, and it's about it deals with themes that he normally doesn't deal with, I guess, in most of his writing. And to me, it just it's so powerful. Um. Was it Preston? Oh, okay. Yeah. I got he, one right. He wrote The Shining, uh, Creep Show, Carrie. Carrie, Maximum Overdrive. It. Fire Starter. Yeah. yeah. The Running Man. The Langoliers. Oh, he did The Running Man? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you see that different. You, so you see that Shawshank is like different from the what he's normally known for. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the themes in that are so strong in the movie. We've already touched on one, and really the movie centers on this dialectic between hope versus despair 
Hope is huge because it's the thing that gets Andy through prison, and it's the thing that he ultimately gives all of the prisoners around him as he as he lives his life there. He brings hope into their lives, and that they don't have to give in to the life sentence or the cruelty and uh, of the world that they're living in. But I feel like the whole movie is um, about this battle between hope versus despair, and there's a critical moment kind of two-thirds of the way through the movie when Andy does almost give in to the despair when his uh, protege is take, down. taken out, gunned yeah. down by the warden and all, all of his corruption. Right. And um, so I feel like that is that is the main theme of the movie, hope versus despair. And um, you, all, you always have to have hope and you always have to have friends to help get you through that. Yeah. We already talked about that enduring friendship. That's definitely one of the, the huge themes in the in the movie and how um, you have this kind of unlikely bond that forms between Morgan Freeman, a black guy, and Andy Dufresne, a white guy, in a prison setting where normally, if you know anything about prison life, they segregate um, mm-hmm. into separate groups, but they're forced to these two guys who are very different Especially in that time period. Yeah. Too. I was going to say, that's the added layer. Yeah, this was yeah. taking place like in the 50s or late, yeah, late, something like that. He goes to prison in 1949 yeah. and spends 19 yeah, years. Yeah, so think about what was going on in America. that Very segregated. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you have these two guys, completely different backgrounds, shoved together, um, and they form this brotherhood along with the other misfits that are in there. And one of the things that I really was drawn to about this movie is it really humanized prisoners um, because we kind of all have the tendency to paint them all with the same brush. You know, they're just dirty, rotten scoundrels. And maybe we have other ideas of what prison life would be like. For instance, if you saw Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood, classic movie, mm-hmm. great movie. Um, but um, I felt like this one really humanized the, the men who were in this terrible place and helped you to see their fears, helped you to see um, that even in that place they had love for each other and compassion for each other and all the human gamut of emotions that we deal with. It, um, it really brought that to the forefront. And then, of course, redemption, right? It's in the title of the movie. And so the whole arc of the movie is moving toward this theme of Andy's innocence, um, being tarnished by the false accusation and the uh, his imprisonment for a crime that he didn't do, the whole arc of the movie moves toward redeeming that and righting that wrong. And that's another theme in the movie is justice. Because as the movie goes on, who's the most corrupt person in the whole prison? The warden. The warden, yeah. right? And yeah. he's the Bible thumper. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the face of, Christianity in he makes him read the Bible, you know, and he has uh, very stern rules. In fact, he actually, I think he actually has like a uh, he has a Bible verse he does stitched yeah. on his uh, wall, and he even whistles hymns. Yeah, he was whistling a mighty fortress is our God. Yeah, and so he's kind of like the face of fake religiosity. Mm-hmm. He would be the Pharisee, I guess you would say of. The movie and um, clothing yourself in all those deeds and all that, trying to hide what's really underneath. Yeah, he and he's so he's the the face of the law and righteousness mm-hmm. and supposed to be the the white shining example. And yet, 
in the movie, he's the most corrupt one, and he's responsible for the death of of other prisoners and all kinds of other um, money laundering schemes and all the stuff going along on the side. And so the movie deals with this in that it reverses that because Andy helps bring justice to this terrible character of the warden through his um, he through puts his, his own plan. Yeah, yeah. his own plan yeah. that he hatches where he uncovers all of the dishonesty of the warden. And then, um, of course, another great theme of the movie is freedom. And because... But they, but freedom is reversed in this movie, if you've ever noticed it. Like, in most prison-type movies, the prisoners want freedom. But in this one, I felt like it was kind of reversed because they were afraid of freedom in this yeah. movie, yeah, right? It's, it's because they were... They, they were, were institutionalized. institutionalized. I mean, they were there for so long. Brooks, talk about Brooks. Brooks so, one one yeah. of the things where he says, first, the walls kept you in but after a while you're inside the walls keep everybody else out yeah and and he also morgan freeman's character red said that after a while you get to depend on them mm-hmm. i that, remember that, that. Was the, yeah. the brooks element mm-hmm. the, the character brooks who had been there for over 50 years because he said that he came there in 1905 and they he ends up getting released like in 1955 yeah and he's like an 80 year old man yeah and if you I mean, you just think about what was going on in 1905 versus 55, and he's talking about how cars are everywhere. I mean, you're talking about a guy who he spent 50 years of his life in a place where he, that's where he was able to sustain, and then all of a sudden he is thrust in his old age into a world. He doesn't even wreck. It's almost like a Rip Van Winkle sleep type situation. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different world. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene from American Gangster, you know, where uh, Denzel Washington's character. Oh, yeah. You remember that? Frank Lucas. Yeah, the drug dealer. He guys know what I'm talking about, where he comes out at the end of the movie and because he was in prison for 15 years. Yeah, and he and, goes yeah. in like in the early 70s and he comes yep. out like at the end of the 80s. 91. 91. Yeah. Is when he was, yeah. And the world is like completely different yeah. as he comes out of that. Cuz that really happened. Yeah. And he same um, type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. But, so that's yeah. But ended Brooks up. ends up becoming the tragic character in the movie because he can't cope. And when he gets out on in the outside world, he's so used to life in the prison that he he doesn't he's not able to adjust and he ends up Giving in to the despair, and yeah. he, he commits suicide. Life. He's convinced that there's no way he could survive yeah. out there. In. And so that goes back to that theme of hope versus despair. And I think, actually, one of the most powerful moments in the movie is when Morgan Freeman actually stays in the same room where Brooks was assigned yeah. to as part of his, you know, going back into society. And uh, up on the, the wall... Where he hung himself, yeah. Brooks was here. Yeah. yeah, and then that's where he hung himself. And then Morgan, that was really great. Morgan scene. Freeman puts well, that where was, a, was too. You think about that yeah. as an edge of your seat scene because yeah. you think Morgan Freeman's about to do. You the see same his thing. feet go up on the table yeah. just like, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Whoa, what well, is about to happen?" And is he going to do the same thing? You also see him at the same pawn shop where he got that gun, but he, yeah. and then he was looking at the guns, but he actually buys the. Um, was it a watch? No, it was a compass. Oh yeah, to yeah, go find the box. Right. To go yeah, find the box the in yeah. the. He buys the compass. Got the instead. compass instead. Yeah. Yep. And that's a whole other side of the movie that we haven't even really explored. Like Andy's yeah. whole scheme that he's been 
funneling off this laundered money yeah. to set it up for himself Which so that when, great, he, get, by the when way. he gets yeah. out, yeah. he's set up and he can go live his second life. And then, of course, all of that is spelled out in the box that's buried underneath the tree out in the field. And in he directs Morgan wall. Freeman yeah. to, go, to go there. When you were talking about on the subject of Red and the, the humanizing of the, the prisoners that are in the movie, trying to show that there is a there's a human element, even though all these guys are in there for so many different things, from murder to whatever. And what really struck a chord with me was when that that very last parole meeting that mm-hmm. Red is in, you know, he's it's twenty years and thirty years and four, you know, finally it's forty years, and he has this completely different spiel in in that scene. And one of the things that he said that struck real a, a really cool tone with the humanization was when he says, "I want to go back to who I was then, or I want I want to talk to that young man. Mm-hmm. I want to tell him how things are." And then on top of that, he says, but I can't. That young man is long gone, and this old man is all that's left, and mm-hmm. I have to live with that. Yeah. And so it, powerful, it, man. It, yeah. it, it is. And it, it really makes you wonder does, is, does something similar go through people's heads that may have walked in those same shoes before? And, and, it, and it makes you realize that even in this real world that we live in, there, there probably are people that, that do feel that way and yeah and if i remember correctly there's like three of those parole meetings that morgan freeman yeah and it's kind of sets up the acts of the movie so like each act of the movie begins and ends with that that parole scene yeah and it's a different parole board i think it's like every 10 years and and, and progressively the first one he's you know kind of a smart aleck and then the second one he just is kind of trying to say what he thinks they want to hear yeah. so he can get out but then by the third one it's almost like a full on confession it's like he's confessing his yeah. sins like look this is who I really am I'm being honest yeah. with you transparent like yeah I made mistakes and I would like to be able to change that but like you said I can't and, talk to that young yeah. man anymore so it's almost like a confession of his yeah. sins and they show the stamp yeah and, and when he and confesses he his sins he gets care. freedom yeah. yeah he doesn't care he doesn't even care yeah. anymore he doesn't even care at that point out. he's he's so let go of his of his gone. life and yeah. his past and yeah. it just doesn't even matter but when at you that think point. about it that that touches on a, a truly honest confession. When you're so on, you you just don't care anymore. You just want the truth out because you right. just you cannot so hold it in anymore. So think about this: he he confesses his true heart. Yeah, and when he confesses, he gets freedom. Now, is yeah. that not a Christian theme oh, or yeah. not? Oh, I know. If you yeah, confess yeah, your yeah. sins, he's faithful and just to forgive yeah. you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. First yeah. John one nine. I mean, it's total. Total Christianity right there. Yeah. When you're actually honest with the power that be, in this case, God, in the movie case, the parole board, the ones who yeah. hold your destiny in your hand, when you're actually honest before them, that's how you get freedom. Right. I just right. thought that was so powerful yeah. in the, the movie. The truth literally set them free. Yeah. Um, and uh, 30 years. Yeah. I've done a hard time. <laughs> he did do Derek, a hard time. I found this about the quote uh, that was in um, the warden's office that was oh, the the bible verse yeah or, i'm sorry not the okay i'm just going to read this then yeah yeah the quote his judgment cometh and that right soon is in the 1994 movie the shawshank redemption it is not a quote found in the bible the closest verse is from ecclesiasticus 21 in verse 5 not to be confused with ecclesiastes because ecclesiasticus 
21 verse 5 is in the Catholic Apocrypha, where it reads in that verse, a prayer out of a poor man's mouth reaches to the ears of God, and his judgment cometh speedily. Interesting. Wow. I just learned something, and I hope you did too. Yeah, that's I, cool. I thought that was really cool. So. <laughs> but that's what's cross-stitched yeah. and is on the it's warden's like wall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just so it's cool. a I fake Bible verse for his fake, fake life. Yes. 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 Mm. Very good, Doug. Very deep. You cutting. get a gold star. <laughs> the, Cha-ching. The, uh, the, the verse that Samuel L. Jackson also quotes in Pulp Fiction is also a fake Bible verse. The, the path of the righteous man. That was also pulled and you know reworked. and so, But anyway, just so everyone knows that I didn't that know too. that either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One thing I noticed, um, going back to Brooks for a second, uh, was the fact that he... When he sent that letter in to everybody, and you know, Red was reading it. Uh, I I really hope you guys didn't say just say this, but I know <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> That's okay, Nathan. Um, but I'm just like finding stuff. Um, I also remember he said, "What if I j- commit a crime? What if I buy a gun and go yeah. shoot somebody just yeah. so I can?" Yeah. Try well, he to tries get back to kill in. kill that one guy, so he he's has wanting to, stay. to kill his manager. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's wanting to shoot the manager at the store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I thought that I thought that yeah. was pretty powerful that he that he's thinking. If I can try to get back in, maybe mm-hmm. if I commit a crime, would they let me back in? Or because well, life it, inside for the prison was predictable, comfortable, yeah, and easy yeah. for him and at that I, point. But when you look at that, when you look at that full monologue there, what he was talking about, and you you listen to what he says at the very end, he is he is kept from doing that yeah. because of a promise he made, mm-hmm. and. So yeah, even though he really is thinking about those things, that promise he made to Andy is really the one thing that's holding on to him, yep. and it's that that hope element, mm-hmm. and that's why he ends up just putting his name up in the wall. He doesn't end up doing what Brooks did, and he he goes and he does what he promised Andy he would do. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So, Doug, you want to say something? I, I was go ahead, talk, brother. He's talking, he's talking about the <laughs> you know you do the little tie-ins and stuff. I thought one of the it was for me anyway, when at the very end of the movie, when they're going through and they see the hole behind the poster where he got out, and then fuzzy they, britches. <laughs> and then he, he picks up the Bible. And it's the Bible Andy had. Right. And where he had his rock hammer hid hid inside of inside it. the Bible. So every time they would do a check inside, Andy would pick up the Bible like he was reading it. So though the Bible saved him essentially. I'd forgotten That's about right. that. That's very good. It was amazing and how, you know, I know he was in there for years, but it was amazing how long or how thick that wall was that he dug mm-hmm. through. I don't yeah. I, I can't remember how thick they said it was. I mean, it had to be 12 feet mm-hmm. thick at yeah. least that he was able to crawl it through. Was it was just solid That's concrete. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, and that that goes back to what they were saying is that it it it'd been there so long that it, it that it slightly deteriorated where he was able to start Scratch well, and then they in the flashback scene, they actually show like how he's kind of accidentally scraping against the wall, and he notices and it's really brittle. Yep. and then he yep. kind of dawns on him, "Oh my gosh, I can, I can tunnel through this." Yep. Yeah. it's kind of like one of those happy accidents. And he was like, "Oh, Bob Ross, the, yeah, put, no mistakes, the, just happy accidents." <laughs> <laughs> yep, he didn't make a mistake. He had a happy little accident, a happy little tree. Well, and that's what's funny to me is how. You were talking about the Bible covering the the chisel and how you're you're able. It, it's a funny combination. You're able to escape from prison by way of uh, of the Bible, Raquel Welch, 
and Rita Hayworth. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what cracks me up is you know that that was the combination that he had to escape from prison. Yeah, his savior. So yeah. to kind of uh, put the cherry on top of all this, I've been thinking about this for a long time, like years of watching this movie and connecting the dots to to theology, but. I want to lay this out for you, and of course you guys can make comments along the way. Andy is like a Christ-like figure in the movie, even though he doesn't die on a cross. Just hear me out on this. So he comes into the prison. He's innocent, right? Mm -hmm. They have that whole scene between he and Red um, where everybody's not guilty, of course, but Andy truly is innocent. And then Red finally admits, you know, yeah. I, I did the crime, and I'm, I'm here because I deserve it. So Andy comes in. He's innocent, like Christ, who is sinless, who is innocent. Andy is persecuted because he's new and he's different. He's, not, he's quiet. He's intelligent. He's not like all the other men in the prison. Um, what was the name of the guy that Boggs and his... His group crew. of cronies. Yeah. The always, sisters. Yeah, the sisters. sisters. God, oh, gave me the creeps. So Just the name. Andy like, is, is persecuted. He's also persecuted by the by the guard. I can't remember the name of the main Had- guard. Hadley. 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 Yes. Yeah. What a terror. Until he yeah. proves himself to Hadley. And uh, he gets yeah. thrown in solitary confinement for a little while after the um, music scene. Remember yeah. that? That was a great scene. Yeah, so he's innocent, just as Jesus was sinless. He's persecuted, just as Jesus was persecuted. He subverts the harsh cruelty of prison life. So he doesn't go with the... Prison life is supposed to harden you, right? It's supposed to dehumanize you. It's supposed to make you more violent, more cruel, more hateful. And Andy doesn't do that. He goes against the grain of the system. Instead, he shows kindness... And he reminds the men inside the prison of the good things outside the in the world. So he actually brings hope to these men who are hopeless. Yeah. And we see that in several scenes where, remember when they're on the roof? The roof tarring yeah. scene. And they're yeah. tarring, and he makes a deal with Hadley yeah. that he'll help Cold him do his taxes if, if he yeah. can get some beer for his fellow guys. And he doesn't even he drink doesn't it. Drink. Yeah. Right. He just wants to do it to... Bless his friends. What, what did he say? Fellow, what did he say? Fellow his co- co-workers. 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 Yeah. 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 His co-workers. And then there's, uh, of course, the great scene where he hijacks the record player and yeah. plays the, I believe it's a piece of Mozart it, it or something. It is. It's from, the, I, I want to say it's Get from it the person. Marriage of Figaro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Yeah, Marriage of Figaro. Uh, it's one of the arias. Yeah, and everybody in the prison just stops yeah. to listen to this music. And they're reminded, oh my gosh, there's still beauty in the world. Yeah. There's still something worth living for. And then... Uh, those are two of the big, big moments in the movie where Andy is going against the system, and he he's bringing hope into a hopeless world. So you can see, obviously, the Christ connection there. You know, everybody that Jesus encountered, with the exception of the Pharisees, in his life, he he brought hope, he brought healing, he brought joy into their life. Uh, he has disciples. Andy has disciples in the movie. You think about the friends that he forms around him and how he influences them. And, and of course, he takes on the young man toward the end of the movie, Tommy. Remember that? He teaches yeah. him how to read and to get his GED and all that. So yep. just as Jesus had a following and had disciples, um, he has a conflict with the power structure. 
his whole big beef is with who? The warden. The warden, yeah. Right? And he's up against this exorbitant level of corruption. Yes. You know, that, that rotten to the core. Right. Corruption yeah. at the top. Just as Jesus was in conflict with um, the religious elites of his day, the yeah. Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then the corrupt Romans and yeah. all of that. Um, and then the great climax of the movie is there's an escape. So it's interesting that when they do the cell check, they the last thing you see is Andy gets uh, some rope. And you think when they do the cell check the next morning and Andy doesn't come out, he's died. He's killed himself. But they go in there and they discover the cell is empty. He's not really dead. He's alive. Yeah. So think about that in terms of what we know of the Christ narrative. Empty tomb. There's There's, an empty tomb. Yeah. They come to search for the body. There is no body. He's not really dead. He's alive. Yeah. And he's he's literally gone through the the tunnel. The tunnel of poop. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is like a metaphor. Sewer line. Yeah. Yeah. Going of dying and being reborn again, or being resurrected, and then he comes out on the other end. You know, he holds his hands up and it's raining, and there's that whole powerful. Doesn't Red make that? Comes out clean. Yeah, at the very end. Comes out clean. clean. Yeah, he 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 uses some choice language in there, but yeah, yeah. He went. He 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 said he crawled through the nastiest muck that you could ever think of, and comes out clean on the other side. So you think about that in terms of the Christ story. They think he's obviously he did die, but they go to the tomb expecting there to be a body, and there's not a body, and he's escaped from death, and he's resurrected. So I mean, you see all that. And then, of course, uh, hope is brought into the lives of his friends because Red knows that he's alive on the outside, and Red kind of has this revelation that, hey, if Andy made it, then I can make it. And that's very reminiscent of the hope that is brought to Christians because we know that Christ is alive. We have hope that we can, we can make it as well because of him. And would you also say Andy's living in paradise, just like just like at the end of the movie? Yeah, yeah. it's like a ver- it's like a picture of heaven, right? Yeah. It's ideal yeah. blue blue shoreline. sea forever, yeah. beach white property. sand. Yep. Uh, Red makes it, and he gets a second chance. Yeah. After he confesses his sins mm-hmm. and is honest, he, then yeah. he gets his freedom. <laughs> You see, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you, perfect, Derek. It's perfect. I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. That's why I say yeah. this is one of the most ex- uh, crazy, explicit Christian movies, and it's not meant to be at all. I don't think, but it's all yeah. there. And um, of course, the the great part too is that the evil, the corrupt man, the warden, is defeated. Mm-hmm. He he does himself in, yeah. and he of doesn't course, have any power. Yeah. Yeah, and so and his head guard gets arrested. For yeah, everybody all who's corruption, who's corrupt, you know, they end up getting theirs in the end, which is also a promise of yeah. the Bible as well that Christ is going to bring peace and justice to to the corrupt and crooked world. So it's kind of like Shawshank is almost kind of like a a parable of Jesus in my estimation. Jesus told parables, which were earthly stories, to convey a heavenly meaning, and the. They were great stories. He's the greatest storyteller that ever lived. But the stories had a deeper meaning. And if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, if you were on that level, you could see, hey, this this story has two levels. Mm-hmm. 
there's a spiritual meaning here, and then there's a, a there's a obviously a narrative that goes along with it. And I feel like Shawshank is built like that. Yeah, it's a great story, fantastic acting. You know, everything about it draws you in. But then when you get to the second level, man, it's got a spiritual message to it. And it touches on all those things that we care about as human beings, like hope um, and how do I live in a crooked, messed up world and um, the power of friendship, yeah. justice, uh, freedom, Brother, all these, yeah, brotherhood, yeah. all these things that drive us. It's, it's, that's the second level. That's the deeper level. Doesn't Andy say one of the lines he says to the guys, like, why are you always so, uh, they ask him why he's always smiling. And, yeah, and he makes he makes a point. I can't remember who he was talking to, but it might have been on the roof when he was saying that he thinks everybody on the outside's really the ones in prison. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was that mm-hmm. just popped yeah. in my head. You remember that? Yeah, he yeah. Said so he the, don't think he's the one. The movie had so many great quotes. Um, or like when he says, "We were the lords of all creation." The lords of all when, creation, because yes. they just. Being able to be rewarded for their work with the, the they felt like men again. That, yeah, yeah. You, those are the exact words. Yeah, mm-hmm. they felt like men. We felt like the lords of all creation. That and all they did was tar a roof and then get paid through beer bottles for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So, so many powerful themes in the movie. It's great. And two huge quotes that always stick out in my mind: "Get busy living or get busy oh, yeah. dying." Right. Yep. And then. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Yeah. A couple of years ago, Preston, you probably remember this. I was preaching a message. Um, it was when it was on a Sunday night, and I was preaching from First uh, Peter chapter one, verses three and four, and I was talking about the importance of hope in the Christian life. And I started out the message by referencing Shawshank Redemption uh, yeah, I and remember. this quote of hope. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I do. Because when I started yeah. out the message. You perked up in the back, and you were like, "He's preaching on well, Shawshank Redemption." <laughs> well, see, and you, and it's funny. There, I remember over the years I've known you, Derek. You, there have been many moments where even some of the things you've said were a little bit more subliminal. Where certain people at church, they just—I mean, like some you, people get it, they, some people well, will never get it. Every and this is to say, everyone understood the meaning of the words, but some of us understood. The bit like for there was another sermon you preached years before that where you were I forget what topic or what verse but you were referring to a biblical location and you said and I quote it was a wretched hive of scum and villain yes <laughs> Star Wars and, and I, I and I forgive me I cannot it's probably remember. Sodom and Gomorrah you might have been <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that or Nineveh or whatever yeah and, yeah. And, but you were referencing a biblical place, and but so that's an example of you said it was a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Well, everyone in church knows the the meaning of those, like the definition. But only a scum, few. But only those of us know exactly the initiated. where it came from. Yeah, we yeah. happy few. We <laughs> band of brothers. Yeah, <laughs> Henry V. Yeah, that, that's another good movie too. So, but yeah, so that I I've noticed throughout some of your sermons that those little. Subliminal lines always plugged in. Yeah, and last week was uh, Hacksaw Ridge. I got Hacksaw Ridge in there. Oh, yeah, oh, you yeah? put Desmond yeah. Dawson yeah, there. So. And uh, For those of y'all listening, too, uh, Derek has always made really cool connections. There was also the uh, the Horatio Nelson, and what was the wrestler? You were Lex Luger. Lex Luger? Yeah, he's, he's, you a, had, good, he's a good picture of Jacob who yeah. wrestles with God. Yeah, you had Horatio Nelson of... 
you know, like Admiral Nelson from from Battle of Trafalgar, connected yep. with Lex Luger. And I, I was like, man. Yeah, I remember that's... I gave you the slides for that message, yeah. and you were like, Lex Luger, <laughs> and Ray, how are these going to be connected? I was like, just listen. Yeah, I was like, you have my attention now. So. Oh, <laughs> man. This so has cool. been a blast. Amen. I got, I got some um, little trivia. Yeah, go ahead. Just real quick. Yeah. Um, this is uh, the people that were considered to play uh, Andy's part, the actors. Uh, Jeff Bridges, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner. Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, Nicholas Cage. I, I don't know why <laughs> it's so funny. Cage, I always say geez. Nicholas Cage. Now, some of those are good. Some uh, of those I would say. Johnny no. Depp, Charlie Sheen. Um, Hank, but Hanks, Tom Hanks turned it down because he was committed to Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner liked the script a lot, but Waterworld. Yes, oh, was so wrong. No. <laughs> was he filming Waterworld <laughs> at the time? Yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> I didn't even oh, read that far. His name four was a magic mirror, man. man. <laughs> um, oh man! And this uh, that hurts. I hope y'all know why we're laughing at Waterworld. They, they should know. Should know. It's one of the. It's most, a good it's movie. The greatest blunders of all time. <laughs> Doug, yes. don't even talk about good movies, sir. <laughs> oh no! You're um, wrong. First of all. <laughs> this was uh, the people considered for uh, Red's part uh, was Clint Eastwood. Harrison Ford, Clint Eastwood, hmm. Paul Newman, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, um, and I think they said the reason they can considered those actors uh, because in the book Red was actually a says a middle aged white Irishman. Mm. Probably because I'm Irish. Yes, and oh, that's, that's where yeah. that, that, why that, do they that call you? Right? Now. Now. Oh, I never knew that until now. I just thought maybe, that was just some oh, joke. Yes. Yes, this is maybe because I'm Irish. Maybe that's because I'm Irish. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. Now. Oh my gosh! But they chose they they All wind up time. going with Morgan Freeman instead. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Anybody I mean, else doing Tom it? Hanks as great as he is, and some yeah. of these other names, it's it's hard to imagine a different cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Jack then, Sparrow. Nah, <laughs> I don't see it. And I got just one last one, um, and this is kind of actually kind of surprising. Uh, the film only grossed eighteen million dollars. Wow. Well, I wonder what it was opening against and, and what time of year it came out. It, doesn't, well, um, it actually doesn't even say what, what it was. 94. Was that the time think, Jurassic Park came out? Now, Jurassic Park was, was 93. Now, I think I know because the soundtrack, if I read this right, the, the Shawshank soundtrack was nominated for both an Oscar and an Emmy for Best Original Score. It lost both awards to The Lion King. Yeah, that's another thing. It didn't win any Oscars. Yeah, but it was nominated for a ton. Yeah, it was, yeah. including well, that. Well, it says it says it did another, and the eighteen million dollars didn't even cover the cost of production. It was so it was a commercial million, failure. Twenty five million dollar budget. So it was a commercial yeah. failure. Wow. But and so it says it did another ten million dollars in the uh, in the wake of the Oscar nominations, but the film still was deemed to be a box office failure. Mm. Uh, Morgan Freeman said it, it, he cited the film's difficult name as a major reason for this because back then, word of mouth played a much bigger role in any film success than, uh, than later on. Wow, that's interesting to know that and yeah. look at. Well, you go to IMDb; it's the number one movie on there. Yeah, yeah, cult classic. Yeah. yeah, so that just goes to show that just because it rakes in the bucks doesn't mean that it actually has substance and it's worth worth seeing. And there is actually a lot of movies that that happens to. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they totally they go under the radar. 
in theaters. Like Donnie Darko. And then they come out. <laughs> they come out on, you know, well, VHS, DVD. Equilibrium. Oh, yeah. Digital, whatever. And then they blow up. Tenant. Mm-hmm. Tenant. Yep. Yeah. That had the misfortune well, of yeah, COVID. Interstellar. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. So, that, that's all I got. Sweet. Well, this has been a fantastic episode once again, not just because we're on it, but because uh, <laughs> the dialogue and the, the content. For yourself. It's probably because Doug didn't say too much. That's probably why it was fantastic. <laughs> we had fun, and we yeah, hope we that did. you did too, all three of you that are out there listening. We're going to come back uh, next time with another great episode of the Inner Light Project. We hope that you enjoyed this. We look forward to meeting with you again 